from you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And, uh, you know, it's been a little while. We've, yeah. We've uh, taken a few it's been breaks a while. There. It's been Sorry. a while. I immediately regret saying that. <laughs> I regretted saying it before I regret it. It was like pre-onset depression almost. Nice. Yeah, thank you. But, yes, it is the summer. We're it, taking breaks. Yeah. We're and, busy. Yeah, very busy. There's a lot of stuff going on. But um, thanks for sticking around, everybody. And uh, thanks for supporting the show, as always. A um, lot of stuff to talk about. I think this this week we really want to talk about um, the San Diego Comic-Con. Because over the last, I'd say, 10 years or so, um, it's really turned into a convention that is for so much more than what it started out as obviously it's a comic book convention you know which is what it started out as place to like go buy some books maybe some figurines or whatever bingo and uh that's a that's a bingo uh so (laughs) damn it so uh but of course now every year people uh who are outside of the comic book industry and really not comic book fans at all look forward to san diego because a lot of big announcements are made a lot of stuff is shown off uh from the movie world big announcements get made every single year um star wars has been in there been there in the past of course marvel has dominated the conversation david and dan the writers of game of thrones right turned down their panel because they knew that they would have been met with fire and brimstone that was probably the smartest thing they could have done yeah i wanted to little little side note here um i'm really glad that they declined because as much as much frustration i have with the product right it would have it it, would have given license to just the most immature of fan outrage yeah and i'm i'm personally someone um and this is coming as someone who has done we've done q a's before absolutely um i'm really really i i i'm really hesitant to attend q a's of that level um Obviously, the Q&As that we've done are much more intimate. You know, people are there for the conversation. They're right. not there to ask inane questions like, you know, will you why say hi she... to my grandma for me? Yeah, or like, why was Daenerys wearing that dress while riding a dragon? Wouldn't that be uncomfortable? Right. Yeah, so uh, Q&As of that level are usually somewhat... Um, just not fun. Like people aren't asking good questions and I get it. Fandom is cool. It's cool to really like things. I, I'm not saying that you can't like things, but, uh, I certainly won't be watching any Q and A's from San Diego because it really, I really think it would add very little, um, to my experience. I just want to, I want the announcements. So we got lots of announcements. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the long awaited sequel to top gun. Finally, top gun Maverick Keanu Reeves. What are you talking about? Oh, Keanu that's Reeves? fucking Point Break. No, fucking Tom Cruise. Oh baby. my god! Look at you. I'm look. Who do you think shame you me. are? Come on, I'm, let I'm it rain do... down on me. Listen, Tom Cruise is one of the most exciting filmmaker. Filmmaker. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he's now, a producer. Look, now look at you. Look at these stumbles that you're making. I know, but he he's he's having a great renaissance. He's, Absolutely. He's uh, I, w- I was a huge fan of Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, yeah, me too. I like I like the rest of the series as well, even number two, which is a kind of a bad movie. Um, 
but it's still a lot of fun. Uh, but it's it's interesting to see him step back into this role. Um, although I think one, of the, I can't remember who said this. This is somewhere on social media. Um, someone's like, "Yeah, I'm really glad Top Gun Two is coming out." But can someone tell me what the first Top Gun yeah, is about? Mike Vanderbilt. Mike Vanderbilt. Mike Vanderbilt. Uh, the great Mike Vanderbilt. Uh, the says, greatest Malort spokesperson of all time. Dude, the guy's a legend. <laughs> it's so funny to watch him like evangelize people with uh, Chicago's greatest export. But um, yeah, he he has a legitimate question what is top gun one about what is that movie about it's about tom cruise being an asshole come on right like what does he i mean i guess he learns to be a better man at the expense of his friend's life poor goose yeah r.i.p goose. i guess that's i mean great great message for the kids really sure but okay so that's coming out yeah kind of in a blade runner sort of move no because that, you know blade runner 2049 well, 30 years after the original yeah okay yeah i guess yeah. In the amount of time the amount of time yeah it just kind of makes me think like it's just what it's just the hot move for anything i, I don't necessarily well, yeah, want to put my, it on the same level of prestige as the blade runner 2049 <sighs> well i mean even sequel. even in my most cynical moments I have described Blade Runner 2049 as, on a certain level, a cash-in. Sure. It's a very, very artfully made cash-in that and it didn't justified itself. <laughs> it didn't really it cash didn't cash in. in at all. They thought it was going to be a cash-in, um, but, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, maybe we can finally mine the cult status of this movie to make a new one and it'll be super successful, which it wasn't. Um, Blade Runner, despite being probably the most influential um science fiction movie of all time ahead of star wars honestly if one being, of the most influential movies of all time and one of the least few the least seen yeah probably. it's still a cult movie yeah like even though people it's been listed on everything best sci-fi of all time it's still a cult movie like even our friends that love movies some of them have not seen blade runner mm-hmm. so it's not They've never actually not sat down unheard of you know yeah and from the same year um the thing yeah they tried to cash in on that in 2011 with a with a uh prequel sort of deal which is always great you know yeah. you always want to explain everything about the thing that you aren't supposed to understand <laughs> and uh that didn't work and plus it was also bad the thing about 2049 is that was good yeah uh the thing 2011 is very very bad but um that so, we'll get back to that so when we point. talk about top gun i guess the only thing reason i brought that up is what is the sequel really going to do for the legacy of the first film is it just going to be more of tom cruise being an asshole are we going to see character development i guess we'll have to see it could but. just be cool. Um, also, we got to see a little bit of uh, HBO's Watchmen series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we got to see... Uh, I'm trying to think of what else got announced. Uh, oh, well, of course, we have to talk, uh, talk about Jane Silent Bob reboot. Oh, yeah. Which I have feelings about. Um, maybe we'll get to that uh, a little bit towards the end. Kevin Smith looks really good. That's good for him. one well, thing that I'll say. You know what? That guy had a health scare. I mean, he had a heart attack. Yeah. Could have killed him. Yeah. Um, and he really took it very seriously. For a guy who doesn't take a whole lot of things seriously, yeah. it seems. Say what uh, we will about his output in the yeah. last, like, 10 years. Yeah. Or he, the guy, the guy uh, really, he really made a point to take care of himself so we'll we'll get a little bit of uh jane silent bob as well uh the cats trailer um <sighs> it is don't uh, don't okay <laughs> okay okay yeah, i'm ready it, it, this is a talk show you know that right we have to actually talk it's really i'm sorry for stopping you but it's really a movie that gives me pause mm-hmm shit and shit i god damn it i'm sorry but i just everybody that saw the trailer was thinking the same thing it's a catastrophe and 
it's like there's always already been a theatrical version of it. Do we really need a Mew thing? Does it need to be taken into a Mew meowdium? I mean, I'm not sure if I want to do this show with you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Cat puns aside. Uh, um, It is one of the most horrific trailers I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, It is just uh, this is this is going to lead us into a bit of a discussion later about um the horrors the of horror CGI. Of cgi how bad does cgi get and how much are we relying on this um as as a crutch and and the artistic choices that get made here um I, I, as i'm sure many people who are listening right now have probably seen the cast trailer or have seen the reaction to the tr- cast trailer uh not only is it a terrible musical sorry everybody it's Come bad. on McCavity. No? No. I'm not doing Rum Tum Tugger. No. <laughs> Played by Jason Derulo of I all mean, people. I mean, that's what you need, dude. You need to see into the secret life of cats in order to understand your own. My own cat? Life. Oh, my life. <laughs> you don't own a cat. I wish I did. But uh, that's neither here nor there. So, um, as many people have probably seen it, uh, it is appears to be famous people's faces plastered on top of... Um, just uh uh shockingly uncanny <laughs> cat bodies it's it's uncanny valley the movie on purpose yeah i can't it's i really can't believe and especially with um you know we'll be talking about the lion king as well uh in terms of the reaction to that film and the uncanny valley uh it just it, i just don't really get um what the thought process was but we're going to start it out with a, a small little a little announcement that, another announcement yeah another Comic-Con. announcement um for the halloween franchise uh universal pictures who now owns the uh distribution of the halloween franchise announced that they will be giving us not one but two new Halloween movies to make this reboot a trilogy. It's really Three's company. So what is with the naming convention now? Yeah. It goes Halloween. So, and then we've got Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> and then Halloween 2? Well, or no, Halloween... It's called Halloween Kills. So, Kills, right. So let's, let's take 1978 out of it for, for the time being. Because they're really looking at this as starting with Halloween 2018. This is going to be their this is going to be their tra- their uh, trilogy. So it's Halloween, Halloween Kills, which comes out the sixteenth of October two thousand twenty, and then Halloween Ends coming out in on the fifteenth of October two thousand twenty one. And so, what are your immediate reactions to that? It's difficult because I think I was one of the few people that I would, as a self described fan of horror, mm-hmm. um, I really enjoyed. 20, Halloween 2018. Are I you got, a big Mike My- Michael Myers? <laughs> big Mike Myers fan, Tom? I am a big Are you a big fan of the Halloween franchise prior to this original, prior to this new movie that has come out last I year? I mean, yes and no. I, I liked scary movies growing up, but not, I wasn't really a fan. It wasn't until I got into like high school that I really started getting into horror and uh, watched all the classics, you know, Friday the 13th, Halloween, all that kind of stuff. I really started with the slashers and then branched out and everything like that but um at the end of the day i wouldn't call myself as big of a fan as some people are right and there are some super fans out there i think if we're going to talk about this new movie that came out which was written by uh 
uh, Danny McBride, Danny McBride, and David, David Gordon, Gordon Green, Green, who also directed. Right, mm-hmm. it's the Eastbound and Down team. In- immediately when that news came out, I was sort of like, "What? Why is the?" I mean, I see the similarities, I guess, between comedy and horror in a certain way in terms of the reaction that you're trying to get. But I think that what a lot of hardcore fans that Tom and I both have heard about were a little bit upset about the humor that was in the new one. Yeah, to to a certain extent, even for me as someone who enjoyed the film, uh, I would say most of the jokes didn't really land. Um, I it felt incredibly forced at times, which is funny because one of my favorite movies of the year so far, Midsummer, is an incredibly funny movie. Yeah, um, and it has jokes that totally land and are legitimately want you to laugh. And yeah, and they feel the natural. Yeah, it's. It, 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 incorporating um you know cut uh cutting the tension you know jokes to kind of provide comic relief is a very difficult thing to do um well, when you're dealing with horror at times um obviously it works you can look at things like evil dead 2 um you can look at uh things like midsummer there's a there's a bunch of horror that uses comic relief to kind of help you ride that wave because you know, you're ratcheting up the tension so much. Ideally, you're going to be ratcheting up the tension to get people on edge that at some point you you need to bring them back down a little bit. Yeah. Now, that's achieved in many different ways. Um, one of the most common is comic relief. So um, with with Halloween 2018, I, I thought most of it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and that tracking shot where he finally returns to the neighborhood. Yeah, goes gorgeous. back to Haddonfield. Um, and I really liked the what they were doing with Laurie Strode. And hopefully, it seems like they're going to be leaning into that a little bit. Yeah, that's probably the biggest kernel of the announcement was that Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be returning for both of the sequels. Yeah, they uh, when they made the announcement, it said that the saga, the story of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode isn't over. So we're keeping that central focus on those two. One of the more salient ideas of Halloween 2018 was this idea of trauma and how Laurie Strode is dealing with having survived being attacked and um, reclaiming a certain level of power, um, but also the kind of uh, delusion that she can fight him and can beat him. And maybe not delusion is the right word, but these uh, ideas that she's going to not only is she going to keep herself safe she's gonna kill him like she's gonna stop him right um she kind of goes full uh linda hamilton in terminator 2 she's sarah connor like that's definitely the cultural touch point for how that role is being played and this goal of hers is putting other people's lives at risk that who have become unwittingly involved in this michael myers laurie strode rivalry or whatever yeah whatever you want to call it um and and the emotional effects of that trauma get shown in this movie and like i said i think it's i think it's really good but um i don't know if it warranted uh this kind of confidence that's 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 a lot of confidence to just sit down and say we're releasing two more halloween movies here's what they're called here's when they're coming out so i had a different reaction to that when i saw this i saw that they're containing it to three movies with the original being like the kicking off point right they're keeping it to three movies because every other popular slasher franchise became a franchise and became a farce basically well yeah even halloween really uh, especially halloween once you get past um season of the witch which is not even a michael myers movie it's not really part of the halloween franchise um but like how many has there been a movie 
has there been a slasher that's been remade more times? I mean, maybe Friday the 13th. Well, not remade. In, in terms but. of sequels, yeah. Uh, Friday the 13th has, I want to say, nine. Because there was that Rob Zombie remake of Halloween, right? Yeah, so Halloween, the Halloween franchise, for the sake of having all the cards down and knowing where we're at, is Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Halloween 4, which is, I want to say, the return of Michael Myers, Halloween 5, the revenge of Michael Myers. Halloween Resurrection was 6? Well, that's, no, 6 is the curse of Michael Myers, oh, right. which has Paul Rudd in it, yeah, of all people. Halloween 7, Jason Goes to Hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, Halloween 7 is Halloween... Uh, H H two people call it Halloween H two O, which I don't know why because I think it's supposed to be it's H20. Halloween twenty. Yeah, because it's, it's twenty years. It's Halloween twenty, but they call it Halloween H two O. I don't. I haven't seen that in because he's got a water theme. Is probably. there? No, I don't know. I haven't I've watched that movie. It. I've never. I haven't watched that movie in years, so I don't remember how that one goes. I you've, just know it's. You've Halloween gone 20. through the all of the. Have you gone through all of the I've seen, sequels? I've seen every single one at least once. Wow. Some of them are really just not worth watching ever again. Right. And then you have Halloween Resurrection, which pretty much killed the franchise from then on. Until Rob Zombie. Until Rob Zombie did a remake in, I want to say, 07. Yeah, something like that. Um, I wasn't a fan. I thought it was fine. Yeah. Um, But he got a sequel out of it. So it's 7, 8, 9, 10. There's 10 Halloween movies, now 11 with this newest one. So it's, it's up there. Yeah, Friday thirteenth um, might have. Friday the thirteenth is inched out, s- but I want to say there's probably eleven or twelve of those. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to bother trying to go through all of them because I'm not as familiar. Um, but Nightmare on Elm Street, there's seven of like. So you think that the, the only reason I'm bringing that up is I'm glad that they're keeping it to a trilogy because they're keeping it from becoming well, that yeah. farce. Yeah, that but the I previous just, installments. Became. What I'm saying is that you know it. it it takes a certain amount of confidence in what you just what they released in 2018 to say that not only is there going to be another one, but there's going to be two more at the very least. I think I read a couple months ago that they were going to release the sequels within one October. I, I which would have been sworn, insane. Which would have been absolutely insane. No, no, this is going to be unprecedented. Back to back but I mean, back they're going, years. they're going, they're going Matrix sequels with this right. one. They're going Lord of the Rings. Yeah, they're probably shooting those two concurrently. That's my guess. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, a bold move for a movie that, as far as I know, it, I think it did pretty well. Yeah. Um, It wasn't a runaway success, but it, it did well enough for Blumhouse to have confidence and Universal to have confidence in it. So I guess if that's enough for them, that's enough for them. But I, again, don't know if they are just gonna like water down the brand again because i felt like the goal of 2018 halloween was to revive this you know classic horror movie that is still great to this day when when was the last time you watched halloween 1978 probably three probably like 2015 or 2016 back when i lived in logan square yeah and it's great it is it It really is is. it is still effective and it's um it's unbelievable what they get what how they how they made that movie it's it's just it's it's a standalone classic and they diluted their own brand luckily john carpenter got out after halloween 2 i think he might have been involved with halloween 3 i think he helped with like the idea cuz it was going to turn into an anthology series where each movie was going to deal with a different 
villain. Okay, but they um, had to go back to Michael Myers. Yeah, because people were pissed. They were just like, where's fucking Michael Myers? Don't Michael give a Myers? shit about this cult. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, and, and but then they even fucked up Michael Myers with the cult of Thorn or whatever the yeah. fuck they were doing in number six. But uh, Again, you, know, you always want to explain the things you're not supposed to understand. Remember that, filmmakers. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. Halloween is a is a difficult franchise because so much of it is really not very good. Like it and and this is coming from from a perspective of uh to me I and maybe I'll be chewed out for this. I think there's there's good and then there's horror good where a horror movie does not necessarily need to be the best movie to be a great horror movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, well, I have, I have it different expectations. scary, right? Well, yeah, and I have I have different expectations. It's genre. Like, any genre right. you watch, you're, you have different expectations of what you want to get out of it. And if it meets those expectations, then you would maybe call it a success, whether or not it stacks up to movies outside of that genre. So, um, you know, for, for Halloween... I thought it, I thought 2018 Halloween was horror good, not as good as the original. Um, Did you think that it was scary? It was tense. There were I don't know I don't know if but I get, was it scary. I don't know if I get scared anymore. Really, I'm not kidding. Um, Midsummer was the Midsummer and Hereditary were the last two movies that scared me. Mainly Hereditary. Yeah, that movie scares me. Yes, it, but like. I don't need to be jumping out of my seat. I am. I am really against um, those the the Conjuring style movies, the paranormal. Even though I found Paranormal Activity the jump original, scare the movie, you don't like that. Yeah, the I mean the original Paranormal Activity does a really is actually a really good movie. It just started off a terrible trend. Right. That's the only thing, and and I guess you could say that about the Conjuring. The Conjuring. I didn't love it, but I thought it was a pretty good movie. It's just that it kicked off a really bad trend, which right. was uh, the same types of scares again and again and again. N- totally uninteresting, um, like stuff I really don't care about. Like I went and saw The Nun. Oh God! Oh, it was awful. Well, they're just leaning in on these old tropes that have existed for forty years, and they're trying to say, "Oh, it's something new." Yeah, but it's not. Well, I mean, we were also talking about reviving a forty-year-old franchise. I know that's what I'm saying, and I think when you do this, you have to ask why does this need to exist? And the answer is it probably doesn't. Yeah, at least with Halloween 2018, they they made it pretty character-driven overall, especially with Lori. Um, you know, it was focused on her. That's true, and her family, and you know, it's not just like, all right, let's give them a scare a minute. You know, so I I would say I'm relatively optimistic. I'm excited to see more Halloween. Hopefully, they can work can fix some of the issues with the script. And um, right, enough bathos, enough Marvelizing our horror movies. Exactly, that is a hundred percent it. It's one of the most frustrating things that this is our idea of comic relief is just undercutting tension with a joke now obviously that is comic relief but like doing it ad nauseum everything is oh there's never a serious moment in the marvel movies it feels like right um everything is always undercut by a by a pithy comment yeah or or a joke yeah so hopefully we can get away from that I, and i don't need halloween i don't need halloween kills to be just super duper serious. No, there's, I don't. I prefer if it's not. There's a balance. It's a slasher movie. It's supposed to be. It's very premises tongue in cheek. It feels like you know. Yeah, and even the original Halloween, I would say, has some humor. It is. I would say it is much more tense than 
Um, it's kind of like nervous laughter. Like when he appears from behind the bush, you're just sort of like, <laughs> um, hmm. yeah, no, it's, it's an unnerving movie, but, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with the Halloween franchise. Um, I can't wait for Halloween 2028 when they have to reboot it again. H Tate H H 50 H. Yeah. That'll be the next one. Cause it was 40. It was 40 last year. H S hsa health savings account that people will be calling it health savings account <laughs> you know yeah you know how they'll be doing that yeah i'm Good sorry job. um I'm sorry let's move into uh the cgi thing because talk about real horror yeah no that is that is horrific um <laughs> probably <laughs> stay in the cgi man sitting up there in his den the most overworked employee of Disney. <laughs> Creating horrors yet unseen. <laughs> Hitherto undreamt of. <laughs> um, obviously, this weekend, uh, it is, we're talking on a Saturday today, but by Monday, I think we're all going to know what the number one of the box office is going to be. Yep, obviously. Probably The Lion King. Um, and it is... The uh, most tepid reviews for an expensive movie that I've ever seen. Te- and tepid is on the good end. Yeah. Um, it is getting some really, really rough reviews. Um, and it's, uh, sit- currently sitting. And again, this is just rotten tomatoes. I don't know how much it means, uh, but 55% on the rotten tomato score. And we're talking about a cinematic classic, a animated classic, one of Disney's best movies, if not their best movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, audience score of 89%. Right, of course. Um, well, Beyonce's in it. They have these people that people want to go see. And sure. stories are have become less important, I think, in the last 10 or 15 years to the people that are involved in them. Mm-hmm. I would say. I mean, you have Beyonce involved in something, and you know that she's going to be singing in a movie that you saw when you were three you're right. gonna go see that fucking movie yeah the only thing that uh one of the main complaints that um people have made is that the a- the animation uh the the cgi here is so hyper realistic that when you have animals talking and singing it just looks insane right like it, it's it's the it's like a fever Valley. dream yeah, you're just like this looks wrong because um animals can't sing. They don't make those same they don't they don't mimic human emotions, you know right. what I mean? They don't have that f- facial The only one that could would be like Rafiki perhaps, but I mean he's yeah. not in the movie for very long. Yeah. Um it it just doesn't work that way. And the reason that the original works is cuz it's hand drawn, everything is expressive because it's a cartoon. It's about being expressive and expressing something. No, you're not supposed to believe that they're actually lions. Like that's right. not the point. It's just a it's just a setting, you know? It's just it's just fun to watch. Yeah. It's it's really just um it's really just kind of ridiculous. Uh and you know, I'm not trying to put the weight on the cast here because they just i mean they just showed up and did their job yeah if dude if you if they're going to beyonce they say hey beyonce do you want to be nala and fucking the lion king of course she's gonna say yes. yeah of course she's gonna say eric yeah. andre is gonna be a hyena yeah. seth rogan already kind of is a human uh, warthog so <laughs> he'll just do that naturally yeah it's um it's really you know, I can't really blame them, but uh, here's here's a here's a really good quote from uh, Matthew Lacona from uh, the San Diego Reader. Uh, 
he says, by this point, Disney's do-overs feel a lot like their cash-grabby, inspiration-free 90s direct-to-video sequels, only with vastly better production values. I think that's a pretty accurate way of putting it. And in the last 10 years of the 10 movies that they've made, six have failed critically. Yeah. I, I really... And not performed very well against their budget compared to the predecessors. Mm-hmm. I, re- I really had nothing positive to say about Beauty and the Beast when that came out. I thought that was legitimately bad. Remember um, when Cinderella came out? Because I literally do not. Yeah, right? I forgot that they did that. Yeah. And fucking Rob Stark C- is in it. I loved Cinderella as a kid. You know, I loved that story, The Mice. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of sad that this is where we're at um creatively i would say and i'm not saying like disney i i firmly believe is largely creatively bankrupt absolutely in a lot of ways and they are and they financially have, soluble baby yeah and they have been creatively bankrupt for a really long time absolutely um the you know the matthew lacona uh mentions the direct-to-video sequels just an easy cash grab right spend very little money on the lion king Two Simba's Pride, right. or Cinderella Three: A Twist in Time, or Mulan Two, like and and Aladdin and the Forty Thieves, or whatever. Right, all this stuff that was just like not even worth putting on the screen, not even worth getting into theaters because they were just like whatever. Just give us like kids will want it, um, and that's I guess you know that's the business they're in. But um, I think the big thing is the CGI. Uh, obviously, it's gorgeous. Of course, it's gorgeous. But it's uncanny. Like you can't, you can't see a lion sing. You've got Beyonce doing fucking vocal runs. On- Just sit down and ask yourself if you want that. Yeah. Do you want to sit down and see hear a lion sing better than any human being can? Because if so, then why do we exist? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, Tom. Why do we exist if a lion can sing that well? Yeah. It's it's very unsettling. Um, again, like Beyonce is doing vocal runs as this lion and the lion's mouth is barely moving because right. lions can't sing. Right. That's why they had to animate it to make it expressive, to make it like, you know, hyper realism doesn't really do anything for you when you're, when you're making a movie like this, I really hyper realism can live in other places. No, it would work. Well, I liked the jungle book. I thought that the jungle book, the one that which John Favreau also directed, I thought that that was good because you had a mixture of real people that were, were that were interacting with these CGI creatures. If it's an entirely CGI movie, you just are watching a giant video game cutscene, but there's no opportunity for you to get involved in it. Yeah, at least with the and I again, I didn't like the junk. I don't like these remakes. I on principle one, and then in actual content, um, I don't really care for them. But at least with the Jungle Book, they did have a person there to help with the expressiveness and add to some sort of connection you can't connect with something that you it's hard to connect with something that you can't like understand and we're talking about how real these things look it's but you know that they're fake yeah it's obviously they're so amazingly and painstakingly animated and it is sad that that this is how we react to it is it's really just unsettling to say the least and it it makes me sad to think that these extremely talented individuals probably spent I don't know how long creating these thousands of hours, thousands of hours, these giant teams of super talented people when they could have been making something that was actually worthwhile. 
Mm-hmm. They didn't set to. They didn't try to do anything different from their source material from it's, the outset. Yeah, it's literally a shot-for-shot shot remake, and yet somehow longer. Yeah, the original Lion King is eighty-eight minutes. This movie, uh, let me get the actual stat here. Let's see, is a hundred and ten. Yeah, I was going to say. It's How is that like possible? How is that fucking possible? They probably added something. I don't. I mean, obviously they added some things. So let's say the original is about ninety minutes. Right. That's an extra twenty minutes. Right. Of what? Of what? Of nothing that changes the outcome of the film, so there's no point in the whatever they ended up adding. Probably. Exactly. Like I don't. I do, they did the same thing with Beauty and the Beast. They add this whole subplot about her mom dying of the fucking Black Death. Who cares? Yeah. It's not really important. <laughs> That's not really. It adds nothing. She wants to get her dad back from the castle. That's what you want yeah, to do. That's the, all that matters. Yeah, you're taking a movie, the only animated movie to ever be nominated for the Best Picture Oscar, the only one, Beauty and the Beast. Not even The Lion King was was granted that honor. Beauty and the Beast was the only animated movie ever to be nominated for the Best Picture Oscar. Part and parcel. And uh, you think that you can do better than that. Let it go, man. Do something else. And Disney's had a great run with uh, original properties. Frozen? Went, Speaking of let it go. Yeah, people went ape shit for that fucking movie. Oh, you know yeah. how many six-year-olds can sing that shit? I was going to say, man, the only thing about creative bankruptcy that I think that it might be doesn't apply to, honestly, is like their Pixar wing and their animation, like their uh, uh, certain aspects of well, their animation studio. Because they're buying it. Right. They bought Pixar. Right. They had to, like... They're acting like a private equity company. More or less. And now we have Marvel under that house. Right. And now we have 20th Century Fox. And, um... You know, people have their concerns even about, I mean, the Star Wars franchise. Really, I don't mind where Star Wars has gone under the Disney thing, no, under the either. Disney purchase. But some people are really upset about it. Now, they want to talk about creative bankruptcy when you need only look at, uh, that was happening before Disney in the Star Wars In franchise. the Star Wars, yeah, in the Star of course. Wars franchise. But no, I think there's a certain level of uh, creative bankruptcy with that. Uh, suffice it to say, we the CGI is the thing with right. this Lion King. Um and I'm, I, I I'm was, super disappointed in Aladdin. Yeah, you saw that. We all saw the CGI. Jesus, for, I forgot that for uh, Will Smith in as the genie. And yeah. I saw that movie. Did you see Aladdin? I did. When he's singing, he legitimately just seems embarrassed for like the fact that he's there because you know that he's comparing himself to Robin Williams. And I'm I like That's Will got, Smith and I like his movies. Yeah, but he just doesn't hold a candle That's to the pure suck. charisma and every. It ha- it does have to suck, but. At the same time, it's like, don't take the paycheck then, man. You don't need it. Yeah, dude, you know? you're Will Smith. You're Will Smith. You don't have to do that. You shouldn't have done it. Yeah. Um, Sonic so, the Hedgehog. We could get away from Disney. Oh, geez. Yeah. That was a whole That was a whole debacle. Um, people were just like, this looks like shit. Yeah. It doesn't look like the character that you know. Yeah. If you know the character. And I think really that brings us to Cats, um, which <laughs> is coming out next year. I believe. Is it next? Yeah. I want to say it's next year. Um, the blockbuster play, the seminal work of the unacceptable face of uh, British theater, Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> what a prick! <laughs> you don't like him. I don't like Andrew Lloyd Webber. No, why don't you like him? Because I think you I don't think, like Phantom of the Opera. No, I hate. Oh God, talk about and talk about poor movie adaptations. Okay, yeah, for sure. That is really bad. I like, like the I like the idea of the stage play though, although it maybe just well, seems I mean, like it came an, to. It's an adaptation. Phantom yeah. of the Opera is a, a like that story is like a century old, right? At but this point, I just like the idea for the stage. I think it seems it would be a cool experience. Sure, but I it, to me to me. Andrew Lloyd Webber 
represents the uh, worst tendencies of musical theater. Really? Which is uh, just overly... Like the thing that turns people off from theater? Yeah. Um, if you have someone that doesn't like musical theater, God help them if you ever bring them to go see an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. What about Jesus Christ Superstar? I think that's real. That's the exception, not the rule. I know okay. that's a really big hit. Um, Joseph and the Tech- Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, I really don't care for. Um it's 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 a certain level of theatrics and part of this you know i'll I'll admit i'm not a huge musical person but i i respect the form and understand what it what can be done with that and i'm not saying that there's never been a musical that i've ever liked or that there aren't certain conventions of musicals that just kind of exist um and maybe it's because i was raised on musical parodies like making fun of how ridiculous musicals are right um but I just find Andrew Lloyd Webber's work to represent the worst tendencies of the musical theater form. I really do. Um, so you must have been really excited when you saw that there's going to be a film adaptation of his greatest work, Cass, which is a strange, a strange play or rather musical. Um, Mustafeles? No, you're not. Mustafeles? No. Is it based off of like some old book, like about the taxonomy of cats? I have no idea, man. It's, I have no it's, idea. It's got this weird basis, but. It's it's really messed up. I think the 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 worst thing about it is the CGI. I could get if if they made an adaptation of Cats, they made an adaptation of Cats. Um but they're doing this horrifying thing where they're like melding their faces onto cat bodies. I think it's what I think that's what they did with Will Smith. It too. looks like that, where it's just kind of his face. It looks like it doesn't belong. And it's like there. poorly blended in with the outline of the rest. Yeah, it it doesn't make any sense, and it looks so obvious and so fake, and it's almost worth. I would I would have rather them just take the Lion King route at that point because at least they look like cats, not cats with jennifer hudson's fucking face right. dude oh my god dude when i think about what the cats musical is i honestly feel like it must have just been andrew lloyd Webber giving a giant middle finger to everybody he's like fuck you you're gonna watch this and eat your heart out dude it's like how much fucking speed stupid. was that guy on yeah when he well wrote this shit? who knows what he was on oh my but god this movie definitely seems to be carrying over that spirit of it at least to me like even to this day when i first heard about when i was a kid about what cats was or heard my friends that were taken to go see it and came home scarred emotionally for the rest of their lives, you know? Yeah. Like I still feel the same way about it. And I just think that's fucking dumb. Yeah. I'm sorry. But. Um, and I've, you know, it's got an amazing cast. Obviously I mentioned Jennifer Hudson, who is supremely talented. Right. And you get to hear her singing, you know, one of the biggest songs from that show, you know, memory all alone in the moon. Yeah. It's a great, great ditty. It's a great song, and she's got a powerful voice, and she's, oh my god, she's an angel. Right. What the fuck is she doing in this movie? Why? She's she's so above this. Put her in A Star is Born. Shit, man. Not a bad idea. Next remake. Next the remake. Next, next, next time around. About ten years, Jennifer Hudson in Keep a those star pipes is born. clean. I would, have been, I would have been happy to see that, but you've got uh, Dame Judi Dench is in this. Uh, James Corden, who is... Right. I mean, I saw a hilarious Onion article. It was like James Corden prepares for being in Cats by being an annoying creature his entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. I feel really bad because my introduction to James Corden was the BBC series um, Gavin and Stacey. 
which is a really great show, and he's really great in it. He's really, really funny. And I really think that he has a good eye for talent because he brought Reggie Watts on as his, la- his band leader for The Late Late Show, who it's is just, one of my favorite people, period. Yeah. It's just that James Corden... I think people have a problem with him being British, honestly. Yeah, you think but so? But the thing is, that at the same time, you know, we had Craig Ferguson for a very long time. Right. And he, no one ever got tired of Craig Ferguson. Yeah. Because he took over for... Uh, James Corden took over for Craig Ferguson. Well, he was kind of taking the piss constantly, right? Yeah. And James, James Corden just kind of plays the game. He just... Fu- and he f- He's invented the, carpool fucking karaoke. Right. And that'll never so end. So stupid. It's so stupid. I'm that'll like, be its is- own show. This is this is what passes for entertainment, and again, I'm saying this as the guy who owns all three Taken movies. That's true. Uh, pay, that's I'll never, I'll for. never let you forget it. Even though, um, you, wow, could you forget it? How could I forget it? I, you know, but uh, this new Cass adaptation, uh, directed by Tom Hooper, who uh, is there anything to like about it? Is there anything? To like? I don't know. Are you a cat? Are you a fan of cats? <sighs> I'm lukewarm. I've had bad experiences with cats. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. I've I've never. If if I guess if you can't make it to go see Cats here in Chicago, which is playing now, really? you can go see the stage version of Cats. All right, let's go. I mean, maybe two hundred dollar tickets. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm like, I'm not paying one hundred fifty, two hundred dollars to sit in nosebleeds and wonder what the fuck is happening. Like, <laughs> have people r- fucking cat writhing cat and- shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> are they just covered in cat shit? They're alley cats, right? So just, they must be. They're covered in cat shit, and they're just singing There's, and yeah. pretending. Yeah, Can you imagine? To be happy. I imagine like uh, you know you've got. I wonder if anybody went really method for this and started like <laughs> shitting in sand. Started going full Marine Ponderosa. <laughs> i mean maybe uh but anyway this, this adaptation uh directed by tom hooper who also did le miserable oh, yeah. um which i think was not very good yeah um he did the king's speech which i think that was, was fine. yeah definitely didn't need the oscar um definitely not the best picture of the year um but he has directed things that i really liked uh he did the damned united which is a really great um movie about uh about soccer um that's a really good movie he did some stuff for hbo including elizabeth the first um oh yeah that's really cool i believe he's doing the uh he yeah he's doing the hbo um his dark materials oh wow that's tom i'm really excited about that i love those so i i just find him to be I mean, he's done stuff that I liked, but he's just, I don't consider him a great director. And I don't know why he, now he's making it a side thing that he's just doing musical adaptations. And I mean, he's just a huge fan, I guess. Yeah. Um, I just, I just don't understand like the CGI thing here because you could have easily just done what they do on stage, which is do practical cat effects and put them in cat suits or whatever. <coughs> you just, you just do that. Um, I don't really see what the CGI adds. It's very unsettling. Is it not motion capture? Um, <clears throat> sorry, it's hard to tell. Um, it seems like it might be motion capture, but it's just so weird because their faces are like blended on, like yeah. you mentioned, kind of like kind of like Aladdin. And I think this is indicative of a particular uh, use of CGI has almost a crutch right as laziness despite being a very difficult thing to do well they just throw it on their animators they throw the burden of the 
film success on other people as a, and then the director doesn't have to worry about it because it's not well, like the director knows how to fucking animate shit yeah and well and the question is the question is is it hard you know what's harder to do thousands of hours of computer work to make this try to look convincing but then ultimately not be convincing right or to do practical effects that may not be as like quote-unquote lifelike or realistic but ultimately age better because they're practical they're tangible they're not uh, doing things outside of physics. You know what I mean. One of the big one of the big problems that happens with CGI is that um, it's really hard to approximate physics. Right, like Legolas getting on the horse in the two towers. Yeah. where he's just like doing something that's literally impossible. literally impossible. It's it's really hard to approximate physics with CGI. Now it's people get close and it's amazing. CGI artists are amazing, but at the same time, if you can do practical effects, it'll usually age a little bit better. Like right. you watch Jaws. Well, it feels realer because you can because tell it, you know it, what CGI. Yeah. Even if it looks good, there's nothing that. You could be blown away by CGI, you know, in Star Wars or something like that. There could be something that just totally blows you away. Yeah. But in the back of your mind, you're like, you know that it's fake. And you're having right. to suspend your your belief that it's fake. Yeah. If you watch The Thing and the the practical effects that are in that, it's like you get the feeling that, you know, somebody could have gotten hurt. People did Jurassic get hurt. Park, <laughs> Jurassic Park. Yeah. People did get hurt, you know, from that, which isn't a good thing, obviously, but it lends itself to the legacy of the film. Yeah. A certain level of realism. And I mean, I can't think of another movie that could go up against Jurassic park in terms of legacy. That's come out in the last 30 years, 25 years. Mm -hmm. No. uh, And one of the, one of the movies, I think uh, a comparison that is necessary to talk about is the Lord of the Rings versus the Hobbit. Um, (sighs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's, I mean, uh, um, so let's just go right into the Hobbit. Um, the desolation of Smaug, which if you are interested and liked the Hobbit movies, I recommend getting the extended edition of the desolation of Smaug. The first 45 minutes to an hour of it is really solid. I'll say that until they get captured, until they meet the elves, until Legolas shows up, Mm -hmm. because there's this part where they put, you know, famous part in the in the book, The Hobbit. They put them into the barrels, mm-hmm. and then they go down the river to go to river to go to Lake Town. And all of a sudden, this whole movie, Peter Jackson's been filming in these forty eight frame per second cameras. Everything looks like unrealistically gorgeous. Everything looks beautiful. The you know they're doing these like really fast like camera. Turns, whip pans, whip pans and stuff, and it looks perfect. The image holds. There's no blurring. Mm -hmm. And then they get into the river, and it switches to I shit you not, fucking GoPro, (laughs) and it's literally (laughs) GoPro. And you just see these dwarves in these barrels, like rolling around, doing just stupid, goofy action sequences, and the the filter of the film changes the look of the film changes they're like getting dunked underwater and it's it's bat shit it's fucking buffoon shit <laughs> <laughs> well and especially it's i mean the cgi looks awful and a yes. lot it's very un unsettling uh especially azog the main villain azog the defiler the defiler yeah. or one of the villains there's so many villains in that yeah in that sto- such in that. a mess 
but Azog the Defiler is a completely CGI character that just does not look like he belongs. He doesn't even look like he's physically there. There's no weight to him when he's fighting people. Which is so ironic because in The Lord of the Rings, they're doing some of the most incredible practical effects I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, even the CGI looks good. The troll in the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, it's it's aged. It looks better than The Hobbit, I think. It looks better than The than the Hobbit at times, which is weird because we're talking about a movie that was filmed in 2000, 2001, you know? 1997. Oh, that's when it was shot? That's when they were filming it, yeah. Ni- 1997. They're in, they're in post-production for like two years. Yeah, that's crazy. It was shot in 1997. Yeah. Um, and you've got CGI that holds up a lot better. And... Um, you know, that's that's the thing about the Lord of the Rings versus the Hobbit. In the Hobbit, the CGI was a crutch. They were just using it because right. it was easier. You could get it done in, in the film like that. When you have to do practical, there's a lot of extra time, and it's uncomfortable. Right. Anybody who's ever, I mean, you can watch those appendices. You can watch any sort of special features about uh, uh, practical effects heavy movies. It is a fucking nightmare to yeah. deal with. But the end result is usually worth it. And with the Lord of the Rings and also with something like Jurassic Park, uh, where it's a merging of the two, um, you're not relying on one. You're not relying on CGI so much. You get to use CGI as a way to do things that just can't be done in practical effects or cannot be done efficiently. It's a cherry on top. Yeah. You still use practical effects because it helps ground everything so that when you have to do the watcher in the water, which if you watch that scene, it there's trouble with physics. The sure. physics are a little bit off. Absolutely. But even then, they merge some portions of that with practical effects in order to ground it in a reality. But and, I do think that it speaks to one of Peter Jackson's worst tendencies, which is to rel- over-rely on CGI, which he has done in most of his movies since The Lord of the Rings. And I'm talking about like King Kong. King Kong, The, the Lovely Bones. The Brontosaurus. Yeah where there's just like these giant brontosauruses and there's like shadows coming down and there's no there's they're mm. perfectly symmetrical and it makes just no sense like you're we talking about with physics it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. for where the things are situated and it just looks fake it doesn't feel like there's a ton of weight to anything and then he did tintin yeah adventures of tintin the fu- does anybody uh, wait like- was that him i thought that was spielberg or it's yeah I, I can't remember or was it no peter jackson was involved or was it uh let uh, me see here because i think <laughs> tintin was scorsese even maybe no that was hugo hugo you're right. thinking of uh of hugo did peter jackson really do tintin i don't think he did i think it was scorsese maybe i'm right you want to put a bet on it no okay fine uh, the Adventures of Tintin, Secret of the Unicorn. That's mm, Andy Serkis is in it. He is. Yeah, so I think that might tell us something. No, it Let's doesn't. See. I'm telling uh, you. It's fucking Spielberg or Scorsese, I'm telling you. Spielberg was involved. Oh, shit. Uh, look at you now. Produced and directed by Steven Spielberg. Co-produced by Peter Jackson and Kathleen Kennedy. That's what I fucking... Written by Stephen Moffat, Edgar Wright, and Joe Cornish. Really? That's fascinating. That's cool. Yeah, because Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are both in it as the bumbling constables. Yeah. Does anybody even remember what that movie was? Tintin was is like a very beloved British 
uh, story, well, right? I well, just no, it has Belgian or Belgian. Tintin's Belgian, but it's like it's every, but it's very everybody in, in the Europe. UK and Europe has in Western Europe yeah. has like Reddit or whatever. It just hasn't really made it over here that much. I don't think. Yeah, Tintin. That was a. I mean, that was all CGI, but that was like some uh, some fucking like uh, Polar Express shit. Which yeah, I'm gonna say it. Fuck you, Robert Zemeckis. That <laughs> shit is gross. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> i hate explain yourself tom uh, i fucking hate polar express i hate a christmas carol i i hate beowulf where they made okay, ray yeah. winstone like a super hunk even though he's like pretty short and fat yeah or like anthony hopkins <laughs> yeah i don't know man cgi is such a amazing thing but it's like it's it wasn't in a place and it still probably isn't where people can be kind of mature with its implementation yeah which well, is very I mean, strange. Yes and no, because you get something like Toy Story 4. Did you get a chance to see it? No, I haven't. It's gorgeous. Oh, is it? Yeah. And okay, obviously, well, yeah, you it's get talk- stuff like that, like Finding like, Nemo or whatever. Yeah, it's gorgeous because you know what? They know what they're doing, and they understand that CGI has to be used in very specific ways. Um, but then you get these indulgent, over-the-top expressions of this. Alita Battle Angel. Yeah. Let's just say, what the fuck was that? With the eyes, yeah. With the eyes. Well, I think it, the uh, the intention was to try to make it like the character book character come or comic book character come to life. I guess so, but like it just doesn't work that way. Poor poor Christoph Waltz. Yeah, I know. Where is he, his where are his good roles? It's so sad because I mean, for better or for worse, you know, some people uh, some people really hate Tarantino, but his two best roles in english-speaking cinema christoph waltz's yeah are the are christoph waltz's best two roles have both been in tarantino movies yep um like i just watched inglorious bastards the other day fucking amazing. yeah it's unbelievable yeah that's Ons what you're doing at the top is that's a bingo that's a bingo is that the expression uh so yeah, Alita Battle Angel is another example of like, what is this horrible, horrid CGI? And I think that in order to talk about the horrors of CGI, we have to address the people that are making it because, like we said, we've it's not said, their fault. We've touched on it a few times. It's extremely laborious work. It is. And in a lot of cases, they are underpaid, they're overworked, yeah. and they're put in really hostile work conditions. That like, is true. I'll, I'll never forget uh, the story that came out about Sausage Party, that stupid seth rogan movie where mm-hmm. they just made sex euphemisms out of popular grocery food items mm-hmm. and uh, the story came out that the team of animators that was working on it were like getting forced to work overtime and weren't getting paid for it had to work you know so many hours and then just for seth rogan to be given 50 million dollars to go in and just smoke weed with his friends in the studio and just like for a couple hours and do dumb voices that yeah. aren't challenging to them at all. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, these people are like struggling to keep their lives together. Yeah. So you, you put these, this tremendous amount of stress on these people. And then when it doesn't go well, you know, if they're, if the movie doesn't go well, it's like, where do you, where do you end up? That's true. And, um, I do want to mention that, uh, the CGI goes beyond just, uh, characters. Really. I think something we haven't touched on is the use of CGI to create, uh, backgrounds and places. Now we've seen bad versions of that, but also some remarkable work is done to, uh, to help get things to be in a certain period of time. So uh, I think there's been some great work of uh, with CGI in period pieces because obviously skylines have changed, 
areas have changed. And so um, I, I would say a great example of this is Zodiac. Sure. In creating the um, the uh, San Francisco of the 60, 60s and 70s. It's remarkable. I, I didn't know most of it was CGI until way later. I thought just like, wow, amazing, amazing production design. They really went all out and shooting this. They must have had a huge backlot or they must have like done some really crazy shit. Oh my God. It's mostly shot in CGI and you would never be able to tell. You couldn't tell that that was a blue screen. Meanwhile, you've got the fucking Star Wars movies, <laughs> which some of those are just so obviously they're they're so clearly not there. Just the flattest backgrounds with yeah. so much happening. Man, there are matte paintings that look better than that. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, think of that. That that used to be that used to be the world people were dealing with was people standing in front of matte paintings and they looked more convincing. Absolutely. It's unbelievable. And so I think at the end of the day, I'm not trying to say that CGI, because CGI is here. It's here to stay. Right. Um, you know, it's used to uh, uh, ridiculous various effects. Detriment. Or, yeah, various detriment or, you know, the opposite of detriment. Credit. Boon. Or its credit. Yeah, yeah. To its credit or its detriment. Yeah. Yeah. So um, because all the Marvel movies wouldn't be happening without the use of CGI. Um, so many things would not be happening without the use of CGI. It allows for so many incredible creative um, avenues. But I feel like we're getting to a point where people and film where filmmakers think that this is simply a way out. And I mean, even recent examples like the, the new planet of the apes movies are fucking incredible. Those yeah. are completely CGI characters, yeah, but all it's motion capture. It's all mocap and they, they incorporate it perfectly. They know what they were doing. Um, they knew like, thanks, thanks to artists like, um, like Andy circus and uh, all the other pioneers of that form. Um, and I think that's a great example because that movie does rely on CGI and effective CGI to tell the story. Right. However, this is not the story of a filmmaker relying upon CGI to make the movie good. It's, it's relying, relying on, on the, the CGI to help carry along the performances that these people put hours upon hours into portraying correctly yeah that, that those movies are made beautiful by the performances right. not the cg the and cgi it, is simply window dressing right it comes down to dedication to the craft probably at the yeah. end of the day yeah because i mean yes you have to believe on a certain level that this man is playing an ape right and back in 1968 they just had to put masks on him right. <laughs> like you know i i and i love those old planet of the apes movies and i will say in the later ones of that original series the uh the masks get shitty very bad like they ran out of money yeah right absolutely <laughs> but you know and but even in those days that was carried by the performance someone's suspension of disbelief was carried by the amazing performances in the planet of the apes like you don't even you will be you're just like yep this is a fucking straight up ape society even though these are clearly people in rubber masks right it was just people at the height of their craft you know, making you believe that this was an ape person. And, and, and it really is not ridiculous. It really works. It really works. So that's what we should strive toward is CGI is a tool, right? It is a way to, uh, window dress and create a, a visual environment, but you need to be relying on your actors to make that believable because, 
If you don't, you get some soulless you get the piece Lion of shit like the Lion King. Because <laughs> as far as I'm not, you know, granted, I haven't seen the actual full product. I'm saying that, you know, wholeheartedly. But from watching some of the clips and stuff, it seems like pretty much everybody's phoning it in. Well, dude, when I heard that it's a shot for shot remake, it's like, okay, that's it. You're not getting my money. I'm not going to go yeah. to the cinema and spending 15 whatever amount of money. $15 whatever amount of monies. $15. Many men make many monies. $15 to $11 to whatever theater you're going to you know i'm not going to do that because i would rather just sit at home and watch the version of the of the lion king the original that i've had for 20 years yeah do you think i i posited this to a couple of people but do you think that wouldn't it just be more prudent that disney you know cleans up does a little bit of remaster work on the originals and just put them back into theaters yeah, that'd be amazing. They've I would been love, doing that forever. I would love to have a theater experience of Aladdin. That's one of my favorite movies, yeah. Aladdin and The Lion King. The last and, time I got to see The Lion King in theaters, the uh, the only time I would have seen The Lion King in theaters, despite the fact that it came out after I was born, but we were I was a year old. Hell, do a fucking double feature. Do Aladdin and Lion King. They're short movies. Yeah, um, but like the only time I got to see The Lion King in theaters was when they showed it in 3D. See, I was okay. so annoyed. another another thing, another, another horror, another horrible, horrible trend. Yeah, um, Avatar five, twenty twenty eight. You know, <laughs> Jemaine Clement just got added to that movie. Are you serious? We'll be able to talk about the horrors of CGI then. But that's a you know what? I'm not gonna lie. Avatar has pretty amazing CGI. It does. It's pretty crazy. They did a very good job. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. I mean, it's believable. It is. They made and me believe again, it. it uh, that's that's it what serves, I wanted to the end It of serves the, the story. It serves it's the just story. the story that's shit. The story. <laughs> I think that movie sucks, but it's not It's not for lack of technological achievement. Right. You know what I mean? And good cast. And Zoe it, Saldana it, is fucking amazing. Except for Sam. Fuck Sam Worthington. I'm so glad that he's like not making movies anymore. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's wrap it up here with uh, Jane Silent Bob reboot. Oh, um, okay. I don't, I don't, I'm going to be honest, man. I've never really cared about Kevin Smith. Yeah. Not a clerks person? I was not. Honestly, I I was not. I don't know if it was because of the is, age that I saw it at, but I've just never really been into the rudeness or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've also, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I, I can't really connect with the culture or something. So it might just be a lack of experience on my part where I've sure. had to deal with people like that. And I I just wasn't at an age, I think, when I was watching it that I connected with the characters in any real way. And I also mm-hmm. just thought it was kind of pretentious. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit of like, oh, I'm so much smarter than these people, even right. though I work as a clerk. But I don't know. I really enjoyed it because it, uh, for me, and granted, I saw it at a fairly young age um, for the first time. It connected with me with a certain level of malaise, just like day-to-day malaise. And although Dante, the main character, does come off mm-hmm. as pretentious and self self-important there's a um, point to that yeah and and but he also gets like he gets what's coming to him sure. like he the end of the movie um and maybe i'll have to watch it again but like uh he he's so fucking up his own ass that he can't see he can't he loses a his grip on reality and the fact that he work he's a clerk in a store right you know he's not better than anybody else and all this kind of stuff i think it, i think it's a really great movie that maybe i was more in love with the story of how it got made than the movie itself but sure. i still enjoy watching clerks well from it's time a to time. it's a triumph of independent cinema yeah um, it's a big deal and i really liked dogma i mean great cast there dogma was a good movie yeah 
Uh, I actually liked Tusk. I, Somehow I, really, I thought it was hysterical yeah. and absurd and um, really bad. But here, and I just kind of thought about this before we came here. Um, but I think that Kevin Smith is really lazy a lot of the time in his movies. Like he goes he for be. the really, he can be really lazy, go for the really lazy gag. And is there a bigger independent filmmaker than him, I don't know. I guess Mel Gibson's technically an independent filmmaker because <laughs> well, he made I mean, it Passion depends on who it depends on who we're talking about. Um, I mean, he's he's kind of the poster boy of an era of independent film. Sure, he's he's part the of the kind of like boner joke, stupid dick fart throwing in joke in two thousands comedy movie. Honestly, though, but he's in the same class. Honestly, and maybe people will take this the wrong way. I think he's part of the same quote unquote freshman class as like Steven Soderbergh and Quentin Tarantino sure. in terms of when he got started. Yeah, absolutely. So it's same years. They're, they're very, it's a very specific type of person, you know, Quentin Tarantino, the cinema of Quentin Tarantino. And I'm sure we'll talk about this next week after, uh, after you see, after Once, Upon I see a Time. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, Quentin Tarantino is a specific type of filmmaker because he's the guy who worked in the video store and like saw every movie ever. And so he just like, brought all that influence in and everything is a reference and everything is has ties to previous work his experience there and with with kevin smith he's kind of i feel like he's somewhere close to a um he's somewhere close to uh why can't kind of a richard linklater in a sense in in the sense that he's making slacker movies a, a very specific type of late 80s early 90s malaise that you know and and i mentioned that it's that it's that malaise you feel um he captured a very specific time and place uh and did it um on like on an underground scale like it just he right. made it for no money at all shot it at night in the actual convenience store that he worked at um and he became a poster boy for like you know uh a certain subculture absolutely you know people who smoked a lot of weed and read a lot of comic books and were obsessed with pop culture and, and all saw something and like i can make a movie now yeah. which is a great way to foster and creativity my, in people yeah. and, and i support and that, that my story is fun you know like there's a cool part about my story you but know the thing that i see in clerks that genuine encapsulation of the american malaise the work the malaise of the american worker the despondency that naturally develops when you work in a situation like that i don't see in a lot of his other works like a lot of the jay and silent bob movies oh sure that's what i'm talking yeah i would say like jay and silent bob strike back i think is probably one of my least favorite right because i think it is stupid flaccid uh, lightsaber joke at the end or whatever. Yeah, there it's 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 a it's very dumb humor. Although I you know I appreciate that it exists. I mean it's it's there for someone. It just makes me think that I don't know if I'm entirely wrong here, but it just can't I can't help but think that he's somehow responsible for the terrible comedies of like the mid of like the early and mid aughts. The terrible like nineties based comedies that were still being put out in the in the mid can and you, early on give me an example i'm trying to like uh because by the time you get to 2004 it turns into apatow and uh and um adam mckay with um 40 year old virgin and anchorman right. start dominating right that was like the mid the mid so are you talking about like the ben stiller stuff like <sighs> i'm see now i'm trying to think i can't i just can't stop thinking like, about that scene in jay and silent bob where 
Will Ferrell shows up now. Um, and and now the things that are coming to mind are actually pretty good movies, like not another teen movie. But there were just a lot of really bad 90s comedies. Yeah, I think I think that falls into the lap of people like the Farrelly brothers. Or like the new guy. Remember that? Oh, my God. Like yeah. that, that was a slacker movie, right? That movie was fucking garbage. Yeah, but I don't think that... Um that was Kevin Smith quite yet. I, I mean, maybe they, I don't know if they really gleaned, maybe they gleaned the like aesthetic from him, but I wouldn't call that his fault because clerks is not that type of comedy. I'm not saying clerks is, I'm saying that Kev- like the Jay and silent Bob kind of stuff. Yeah, that m- maybe, maybe, but let's remember that was- his follow up to his follow up to clerks include, mall rats which i think is a really funny movie but maybe that could have contributed to it mall rats was one um chasing amy yeah chasing amy was good i think chasing amy is great um and you know i could be justifiably chewed out for that because there's parts of it that have not aged well but i think for the time it was a fascinating movie and it and it showed his his propensity to do something a little bit more than just although there are sex jokes and wiener (laughs) jokes and whatever it is what it is um you know it showed a, a growing maturity but then it seems like his fans just wanted him to do more of the crude stuff because Mallrats is a pretty crude movie. Uh, Clerks is obviously a pretty crude movie. And he seems like a filmmaker that has a certain level of aspiration that is held back by the people who love him. Um, because did you see Red State? Yeah, I didn't like it. You didn't like Red I State? I didn't like I it. I loved Red State. I, just thought, I was just like, what an interesting experiment for a guy who has never made this type of movie before. Yeah, okay, I did appreciate that, that he made that. It was kind of brought to me in a in a way connor by, johnson yeah by a very close friend of mine who was very excited about it was it it was it it was connor it was johnson. him yes. okay yeah i want everybody to know it was cj and i was just not i me and my friend brad cullion were just like not that into it i thought it was really pretentious to be honest and i'm a person who i'll just be honest about it like i am not a religious person at all i'm like i'm pretty much the opposite of a religious person yeah and the way that they dealt with the like the way that they dehumanized the people who that were in the cult. believe what they who believe what they believe because they were literally like forced to believe it you know like from their from the childhood is what i understood from the film but they had the various ages of the people in the cult and it's just it's showing you how you like start out as an innocent person and you become a part of the cult and it's there's nothing that you can do about it because they're holding you hostage there already well yeah and then they become hostages because they were violent but the way that they went about it and just kind of saying how they deserved to die it just came across to me as almost fascist that's my that was my in that was my initial reaction to red state was well and it's it's red state's the promotion of violence in order to stop violence which in certain cases i agree with i don't know i don't know if i don't know if promotion is the word i think it was justification justification maybe i think yeah i could i'll i'd open to that i just Um, don't think that there was any do you know what it's you know what it's referencing that whole movie i assume it's 
Oh, it's rough. Sneak Waco. Okay. What, right. Yeah, Waco. Well, and also Westboro Baptist Church. That's, yeah, but really, that's the whole armaments thing and the shootout. Right. That's Waco, Texas. Right. That's really what they were going for. Um, I just, for me, I mean, we could we could probably talk for hours about deconstructing the politics of what's going on in that movie. Who knows if Kevin Smith even really knows what he was baking into it? Because so much of influence can be unconscious. Right. Not really. Um, when you're in the creative process, you're just moving forward. But I was just happy. I'm like, wow, this is a movie from the guy who made fucking clerks. That is so unlike any, it doesn't look like anything he's ever made. It doesn't sound like anything he's ever made. It is a straight up like cult is a straight up horror movie through and through yeah it was and, and it was horrifying. And it's fucked it's a fucked up movie and then he kind of reneges on that and goes and does tusk mm-hmm. which i do i got tusk i own tusk you own tusk yeah of course i own tusk of course you do got it for five dollars um for i i love the creative experiment that is that movie because it came from a literally just a bit they did on a, a podcast, podcast and yeah. they made a movie out of it which i think it speaks to his ability as a filmmaker his ability as a creative uh, he's just got so much energy yeah and i think that that's great but i also think that he's incredibly lazy and i also think that he doesn't a lot of the time the a lot of the execution is lazy i'm not saying because he makes movies pretty at a pretty good clip but i think that his execution can be lazy and i think that the a lot of the ideas can be pretty half-baked is all that's true yeah about his movies i will say that which is why i'm not a huge fan Mm -hmm. suffice to say uh would would you say you're gonna go see jane silent bob reboot i will probably watch it but i'm not gonna pay for it probably you're gonna wait till what until it comes on to netflix or something or maybe like dvd yeah i'll buy it We'll watch it together then. Yeah, I, well, see, that's a movie that I could wait for. Yeah, I might go to the roadshow screen. He's going to be in Chicago. Oh, the, really? The first, see, yeah, okay, the first now, show, the first stop of the of their roadshow for Jay and Silent Bob reboot is actually here in Chicago in the Music Box. That's really cool. Okay, so, so I, th- I would go see that, and that's why I like him. That that is one I don't he, he I don't love his, his movies, but yeah, the fact that he's involved yeah, and he understands he, how to engage with yeah, people. I he's here for that. his fans. He really is here for his fans, and you know what? Um, it might not be the most highbrow cinema. It might not be the best cinema. He's, I, I would say, uneven to say the least. Sure, he's made a few. He's made plenty of movies that have been like, eh. like even. But I, you know, I've got such a soft spot for some of his stuff. Obviously, Clerks. I think Zach and Miriam make a porno. Is I like that really movie too. cute. I it's, thought that movie was good. It's so it's so dumb. Dogma. It's so crass. And yet, it's I, like nobody writes with that. It's got some real heart in it, though. It does I think, for how gross it for, is. Yeah, for how fun. dumb it is, it's got a lot of heart and dogma as well. I think the only part of dogma I really think is super juvenile is the shit monster. <laughs> I thought that was really dumb. The yeah. shit demon. The shit demon. But yeah. The rest sure. of that movie is fucking hilarious. I love to, dude. Alan Rickman as the the Metatron, the yeah. voice of God. What an in what an what a great cast for that movie. Fucking. God, did you have to use the old can? <laughs> <laughs> but and are you excited for the new Jay and Silent Bob movie, Dom? I would say um, I'm interested in it. Again, it's it's technically a sequel to one of my least favorite um, Kevin Smith movies. 
Uh, and I, I think the characters of Jay and Silent Bob are super funny, but they're just used better not as the main characters. Right. I prefer like, them in the background. Yeah. They just show up for bits. Yeah. Like them. I think the best Jay and Silent Bob movie is Clerks 2. They get to do so much funny shit. Yeah. Like, you remember when he, they're, they're, he's dancing. He's just like, I gotta get out, you know, fuck some girls and shit. And then, uh silent bob plays goodbye horses from uh from silence of the lambs you know like and he starts uh, jay starts dancing and he's just like puts on the lipstick lipstick. except it's chapstick he's like would you fuck me i'd fuck me (laughs) he starts doing he starts doing that and he tucks his cock between his legs (laughs) you love that because it's so um, batshit it's so fucking stupid or when they're singing there's a bit where they're singing king King diamond you know let me help you out of your chair grandpa (laughs) like i laugh every time because it's i don't know i saw that movie when i was in uh, I want to say late middle school, watching it on uh, a friend's computer because he had pirated it. Jay and Silent Bob strike me as like a three panel comic in a, or like, you know, like a series of three panel comics within the world of a movie. Yeah, they're just hilarious little characters. It's just that when they put them in the forefront and do other stuff, it, it doesn't work for me. And some of the jokes in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, I'm just like, this is just so fucking like eighth grade humor and right. that's kind of kevin smith that's who he is he's got some really uh really juvenile humor but you know what uh again he's juvenile got a, humor can be fun it can be fun and it's got a lot of heart it looks better or at least about as good as that one that new movie with jacob tremblay what's that have you where it's like it's like good boys or something like that it's just super oh, bad with fucking middle with schoolers kids, yeah that's some that's some bankrupt shit even yeah, i'm like that's some exploitative shit right there seth rogan is <sighs> he's I, a hack i, I like i, I like a lot if, of his movies but i don't know if hack is the word i would use but he's been a part of some stuff that i think is really have you seen the dumb. movie that he did with charlie theron oh long shot yeah yeah that was great that was great actually he was he was He's capable of so much cool stuff. I mean, dude, go back and watch Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. And he's great in it as a kid. As, he's a fucking kid. Like a stupid bully. Well, he, he's like kind of, he's just a burnout. Right. Um, he, He's capable of some really interesting stuff, but then he just gets involved in other shit that just seems so fucking dumb. Like, yeah. Like Sausage Party is so fucking dumb. The interview. The interview is so fucking dumb. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, um, I mean, and he's very one note, but that's not to say can, that it's a bad he can be. Yeah, I like I actually like that Steve Jobs movie with Fassbender. Well, he plays dude, Wozniak. I thought was, he did a pretty good job. there. I thought he was awesome. Like he can do it. It's, it's just, just the that, choices. It's the choices he makes. Um, I think he like I thought long shot. Great choice. Yeah. Awesome role to take. Awesome role. Um, oh, also led uh, me to find fifth, out that Charlie's Theron is single. So. That was if anybody wants to ask the, her out. The somebody media do firestorm that. of the day was when she was just like, "Yeah, people don't ask me out because they're they intimidated. They're by intimidated, me. which is kind of sad." Poor Charlie's. That's super sad, dude. Furiosa, man. Yeah, meanest motherfucker on the planet. Yeah. Uh, what was I? I, I just I reminded me of Fifty Fifty, which is from the direct, same director as Longshot. You oh yeah, Fifty Fifty. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. and uh, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. That was a great picture. Loved it. So, um, you know. I think there's a place for those types. Clearly there's a place for those types of people making those types of movies. Cause people right. are sometimes very childish yeah, and that's okay to it. That's okay. All right. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about, uh, Quentin Tarantino 
um, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and his Star th- Trek is incumbent Star Trek movie. <laughs> incoming not incumbent shit yeah oh i have thoughts about that yeah uh, so do i and, and we we will hear them next week yeah we'll hear we? them next week um i'm gonna say this right now i'm gonna put this challenge out there because mm. uh me and the great jake s weissman filmmaker yes. extraordinaire um check director, out his new movie clean sheets clean get sheets chance. yeah it'll uh, you know ask him about it sometime ask him about clean sheets it's great he showed me he showed us a, a version of it he did a little family thing i it was awesome i had such a fun time watching it um and scrapers as well i think that might still be on amazon prime i'm not sure check it out uh bad movie brunch just did an episode on on scrapers on scrapers yeah what? I, I yeah that seems a little bit mean that's even I mean i don't know i like scrapers i think it's really good um, but anyway, I'm going to put this challenge out to Jake S. Wiseman. He and I, for uh, going on right three years, uh, I, I hope he is. Huh. I hope I hope that butthead up, is listening. Yeah, chuckle, chucklehead. <laughs> um, uh, for nigh on three years, we have been threatening to have the knockdown drag out conversation on Tarantino because. He's, he's one got, of your favorites. He's one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Um, and again, I understand that that is probably worthy of some criticism and ridicule. Um, there are plenty of people out there that really dislike what he's about. Um, if, if they don't dislike his movies, they definitely dislike him as a person. Or his practices. Or his even. practices. And obviously, over the last... Since, since we started this show, uh, many things have happened uh, involving Tarantino and his involvement with other people. Um jake's got thoughts i've got thoughts um i think we want to potentially i i potentially want to have this conversation finally because we've been threatening to have this conversation for like three years <laughs> and we have never sat down and actually done it we've never Takes actually two to tarantango oh my god first the cat puns like they say this. like they say so uh i'm gonna throw this out there next week you may hear the one of the longest pods that we've ever done longer than this one longer than this one as me and jake uh try to tango with tarantango yeah try to tango with tarantino and i'll just be making sure that you guys aren't going for the hair yeah i don't think it'll get to that i think it's going to be a very uh interesting ideological talk about where tarantino falls in the uh in the canon of American cinema, because you can't talk about, um, you can't talk about like the nineties without talking about Tarantino. Can't talk about independent cinema probably without Without talking talking about about Tarantino at some point. So, all right. Uh, this has been no coast cinema, your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush and I'm Connor Cornelius. We will see you all next time.